Blog Talk Radio. Right, coming out of the valley, across the country, around the world, it's Left at the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Hi, Karen. Hello, Kevin. Hey, I didn't butcher your name again this time. Isn't that Yay. great? Yay! Yay! Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that I'm was here just till an excuse to give yourself some applause. That's right, I'm here till Thursday. Try the veal. <laughs> and uh, today we thought that we would do a special show. I wasn't all that happy with the last show, a conversation with a Muslim uh, that we tried with Ahmed. We had some technical difficulties with Skype. Thank you, Skype. Uh, so uh, since it didn't work with, uh, with that, we thought we would try that uh, again today. Uh, we, what we did is we pre-recorded him, and uh, we actually have uh, some people here Ooh, with us. Very special guests. We're very honored to have them with us. If you'd be so kind to introduce them. Well, we have Nancy and Jeff. Um, I, you know what? I'm not sure <laughs> if you're comfortable in, with me introducing you as members of the Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics and Humans. Okay, I'm getting nods. That's okay. So they are uh, outstanding members of the Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics and Humanists, and also they are founding members of the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society. And I believe that's going to be what we're discussing today. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Glad to be here. Good. Yay. Excellent. <laughs> so does one of you want to uh, explain to us briefly what the Abbotsford Dignitarian Society is? The Abbotsford Dignitarian Society actually came out of uh, an idea of Jeff's uh, last year. Um, the um, Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics and Humanists put on a dinner with the Five and Two, which is headed by Ward Draper, and um, our group wanted to do something for the homeless. We didn't know exactly what, but when we had the dinner and there were events that followed that, the chicken manure incident and so mm-hmm. forth, that really showed us that the, the homeless in Abbotsford were not getting uh, a decent shake. They just weren't getting the services. They weren't getting the dignity. They weren't getting the life that uh, most of us most of us want. And so, from that dinner and from conversations and from Jeff building uh, the shelters, the little um, wooden shelters to help people, um, the conversation was: we really need to do something more. We need to do something of substance to help as many people as possible. So out of that um, came a group of people who met and shared ideas. And then eventually, when the housing initiative failed, 
for the 20 bed um, mm-hmm. men's building in the in the location downtown, Paul McLeod formed the nonprofit. Um, and he said he was for helping the homeless, just not for the location. And he's been true to his word. So we've been formed since February. Mm-hmm. There are 18 of us on the board, and I'm happy to say that seven are homeless. So we have a really good That's mixture cool. of mm-hmm. yeah, we have a mixture of business people, community activists, and the homeless. And so this is one solution, not a not a solution but it is one solution to help the homeless. So I know Jeff has a lot to add to that, but I think that's pretty basic from where we started. But, but before we get uh, Jeff to, to go into that, uh, you guys might recall that from episode two, our second episode, Jeff came in and he did a fabulous show, uh, show and I w- almost wanted to give him control over the show, and maybe I still should. <laughs> uh, but... Are we doing the conversation with Ahmed now, or do we want to go into the whole homeless thing now? I think we should do the homeless thing now. Okay, let's go. Jeff, mic is yours. Take it away, bud. Uh, well, uh, Nancy pretty much covered it. Um, I, I think the uh, yeah. Thank you. Good night. Have yeah, a great week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was it. The uh, yeah, we we formed a society uh, obviously to try to um, address the, the some of the problem uh, part of the problem that we have in town, and um, we came up with an idea uh, to um, basically. Uh, following what in the footsteps of um, Dignity Village in Portland, Oregon. They, uh, in 2000, they put together uh, a village uh, with property that was donated by the city. It's actually a $1 lease. Uh, and they built about 43 cabins, and there's been uh, people living there since 2000. So for 14 years, the, um, the, the project is a success, and it's helping people. They say, uh, when we went down there to visit them, uh, as many as 1,000 people have been through that, that facility uh, in the last uh, 14 years, and we were really inspired by that, and um, that's that's what we intend to try to build uh, in Abbotsford, uh, a similar type of a village. Um, we we we've come up with a lot of enhancements through through a lot of the people that we've talked to, a lot of the stakeholders, anybody that's been willing to consult with us, and we think we've got a pretty good plan. I mean, uh, it's, it's a work in progress, and I'm sure even once we get it up and running, it's going to be tweaked, and we're going to try to you know solve problems and and and, and make it better. But uh, we're really excited about it. We've got a lot of people supporting us, and uh, we're we're uh, we're hopeful that that we'll get the approval from the city very soon. So there is um, gardens there, right? I believe you have a, a food sustenance garden that's going to be on the site. Yeah, one of our um, one of our members, <coughs> Kayla Feenstra, works for Dragon Lily Gardens. It's her company, and uh, so she's obviously um, uh, an expert in that field with landscape and gardens and things like that. And she was able to get a four thousand dollar grant for uh, vegetable trees and, and plants. And we we got that grant money, and we've already actually uh, planted the garden that's growing. I've got some pictures I'll share with you later of little fruit trees. Yeah. It's, it's really exciting, yeah. Nice. And um, my understanding of the Portland Dignity Village is that they uh, the people who live there are also the sort of board of governors for the the area, and that they are the ones who. Uh, are in charge of it. Exactly. That's what makes it so successful because in many cases where people deal with the homeless, they have preconceived notions about who they are and what they're capable of doing. And a lot of time there's an elitist situation where you've Mm -hmm. got agencies telling the homeless what to do and taking charge. And no one wants someone else to take charge Mm -hmm. of their life. So our village is going to be self-governed. There'll be some oversight and there'll be some help, but generally we're going to have um, a strata committee 
and uh, actually, um, I'm my little committee within the Dignitarian Society is to formulate the the rules, the regulations, the mm-hmm. operations. And one of the uh, women who is going to be a resident there is actually a, a better chairman of that <laughs> of that committee than I am. And she really knows what she wants to do and and what will work and what won't work. And so it's a joy to put together rules and regulations and and the operating procedures and you know they're going to be followed Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that they wanted for themselves oh that's excellent have you guys run into any um political interference yeah i mean uh, you know we we actually uh even prior to the dignitarian society forming um nancy and i and a couple other folks had a uh, ward draper we had a a a meeting with the with the, the mayor and the city manager not the city manager the um Manager? Yeah, he was the manager. yeah, and uh, and we tried to present our idea, and there was tons of pushback at that time. Um, the political climate has changed a little bit, largely because uh, of not just the chicken manure incident, but the protests in Jubilee, and now the protests on Gladys. It's just a and it's a, an election year, and and, that, and <laughs> that's that's not a yeah, that's that's very key in terms of our success as well. So, um, not. Uh, all I can say is that the um, the uh, the city has been very helpful lately. Um, we have an application uh, before the city to get a temporary use permit. That's what we need. Our land is zoned uh, residential. It's not in the sorry. It's uh, it's um, it's zoned single family res- residential. It's not in the ALR, but we're not able to do a multifamily without a, without a temporary use permit. So we've got that application before the city. Um, they've been extremely helpful with us. Um, very um, um, active in, in in going through all the the processes, getting our farms filled out right, setting out the meetings. Uh, and uh, we're optimistic that um, we're very encouraged by by, by what we've seen, and, and we think they're they're going to help us make it happen. The, the next uh, formal process is August 28th. We have a, a public meeting where we're going to basically tell the the residents of Abbotsford what we're what our plans are, and it's a public meeting. It's going to be advertised in the paper. Uh, anybody has any questions about what we're doing? Obviously, that'd be the, that'd be the first opportunity to uh, to get to get those questions answered. It seems to me the mayor was not very supportive of the idea to begin with, was he? I don't know if I would say that. I mean, he's a he's a a, a, a cautious guy. Obviously, you have to be in that situation. Um, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily get inside his head, um, but all I can tell you is right now, I think he's 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 very supportive. You know, one might might be a little dubious in terms of his intentions, but we're not that worried about that because, uh, uh, you know, it, it looks like he's helping us, and we're thankful for that, and we're going to move in that direction. Well, what you guys might not know is we actually asked him how we thought of getting rid of the homeless, and we have a recording of him, and that's him. Crush your enemies. See them driven before you. They hear the lamentation of the women. Yeah, we're not sure about his strategy, but apparently <laughs> that's a strategy. I heard he was moonlighting as an actor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so the city would be providing. So obviously that you have to approve the land use application. They'd be providing um, uh, water for showers or what? What is the city's involvement? Well, certainly our our plan is to have a fully serviced site. So we want to have uh, washrooms, we want to have laundry, we want to have showers, we w- we want to have all those facilities. Those will be shared facilities. The the individual cabins will will just basically have power for for a heater and and, and any ancillary electronics. Um, but the uh, there will be shared buildings for for all those other services. So we are going to want water and sewer. Mm-hmm. 
our uh, request from the city was to get those ser- services provided. So we want we want to hook up to the city sewer and we want to get city water. Um, the the project is going to be funded by the the build is going to be funded by donation, and the operating cost is going to be funded by uh, the BC Housing um, 375 allowance that everybody on social assistance gets. So there's going to be no outlying cost to the city of Abbotsford for our project. The only thing that we are asking for is to, to hook into those services. So mm-hmm. that that's just utilizing existing infrastructure. It's not going to be any increase burden on the taxpayer. Um, we've asked for that, um, and we're still waiting to hear back that. We're Again, we're optimistic that that will work mm-hmm. out, but we have, to, we have to wait to hear. And will there be services um, such as, uh, I know there are uh, different groups that do things like they donate clothes for people who are looking for job interviews, and they might not have an appropriate clothes to wear, things like that, people helping with resumes and job search. Yeah, the, the really nice thing about it is that there is grant money available uh, for job training. And so a lot of the people who live there who might want to work and who are eligible to work will be able to go. For instance, um, we're going to have a food-safe kitchen, uh, thanks to um, Kayla and Dragon Lily Gardens and also Valley Permaculture. Um, We're going to be able to have enough vegetables and fruit for the, the residents themselves. We plan on having 40 cabins. So out of those 40 people who are going to live there, they have to put 10 hours of work mm-hmm. per week. So they're already having to use some skills and mm-hmm. uh, have some discipline in being part of the community. So playing on that, they can also um, uh, get a grant for some job training. Those who are eligible to work and don't need the training will do everything we can to help them get employed. Mm-hmm. And we're making a list now of services and agencies that will come out and help us in, in various ways. Um, We'd love donations of clothes, but when it's appropriate to mm-hmm. do that, we might have a thrift shop where we actually do some selling. We might have some um, – we're right next to the transfer station, so it's possible that some of the employment could be in fixing some items and reselling them. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we are going to have uh, some help in getting people ready to work. We're going to have hopefully some employers perhaps come and do interviews out there. Our vision really is that it's going to be a village like any other. It's going to have, you know, different people. It's going to have services. It's going to be a beautiful place to live. The property itself, we have um, two acres on a 10-acre property, and it's lovely. The Mm -hmm. views of Mount Baker are there. It's sheltered. So we hope that the, the safety, the security, and the beauty of the, the village itself will help people re- reconstruct their lives, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do many of the things that that have gotten away from them for so many years. That sounds wonderful. So how much opposition are you guys getting at this point? Very little. You can't handle the truth! <laughs> you know, there's... there's um, <clears throat> There's not been any sort of real large organized uh, opposition. I guess we're going to, you know, we haven't really gone that public. There's been a couple news stories. You know, if you want to follow the the Facebook stuff or some of the online articles, there's, there's you know, the odd uh, person putting a comment in there. There's been nothing really organized. The only thing that I'd say is, has uh, slowed us down a little bit is the the um, the need to sort of go through the process, you know, of, of the application, the city and all that sort of stuff. When we started this thing, Boy, we were, we were, uh, we had rose, rose-colored glasses a little bit. We just thought that, 
you know, it was such a cool idea that everybody would be, you know, doing backflips and just let us go start building. I mean, we, we met almost a year ago today and, um, it hasn't been that easy, uh, and, it, and it's really just been the the official process at the city, which I guess is understandable. For me, I'm just a little naive with all that stuff, and I just thought we could go, you know, build it. But, you know, we're a year later, and we've done a lot of that homework, and we've we had all those uh, discussions. We met with uh, at the at the uh, city's um, request. We met with Bob Rich, the police chief. It was one of our first meetings, and the city wants to make sure that the police is comfortable are comfortable rather with this concept and we had a great meeting with Bob he gave us some recommendations on how to improve our proposal we did that and so we crossed that off the list we um, when we're designing our, our site plan we wanted to make sure that are they doing a lot of work with the city uh, no they're just uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just looking for an excuse for drops did I miss my cue on that one <laughs> no no <laughs> No, they're they're uh, they're just doing their job, uh, and um, you know we're following the procedure. So, um, at this point, if we go through the the regular process, um, we could see the official approval at the beginning of November, which would allow us to build at that point. Um, we're going to try to expedite that so that we um, start our work while the weather's as nice as it can. You know, it can get kind of rainy and wet out there in November. So, um, we're at we're in that stage right now where we're uh, we're um, I think we're rounding third and heading home. I would say. No, I think I think part not not of the problem, but I think part of the, the situation is that this is going to be the first of its kind in Canada. Mm-hmm. Even though there are what Jeff ten or twelve in the United States that have been going at least, uh, yeah, they they're tailored to the economy down there. They're tailored to the culture down there, which is very similar, but still, it's the first one. And so, rather than the traditional way of looking at building a building or taking over a hotel, this actually is a village, you know. And the concept of it being self-run and self-managed and being out from the city a little bit is different. So mm-hmm. there are some uh, ways that the, the city council has to look at this that they've never looked at a mm-hmm. proposal before. So I don't see it as opposition as it, as much as it is looking at something new and trying to get your head around, mm-hmm. well, this isn't the traditional, but where does it accomplish the goals that we've been looking to accomplish all the time? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, in, it's an interesting process. A, a lot of people have um, expressed, there's various various you know opposing ideas that come out one of the ideas is is it good enough you know the idea of a sort of a campground cabin type of thing is that good enough Um, one of the benefits of our of our plan is that we can implement this fast if we had the green light today we would have this whole thing built before winter and and have it occupied it's uh it's 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 they're they're not going to be permanent structures they're going to be cabins above ground um, and they're going to be they're going to be portable. So if we had to move to a different location, we could do that. So it's very very easy to set up and very easy to take down, and it's low cost and quick to implement. So that's a that's a, a real benefit because a lot of these other projects you know cost millions of dollars and take several years to, years to get going. So mm-hmm. you know we're we're envisioning this as as possibly a longer term thing, but it could also be a transition if, if, if other groups or the city or the province or anybody comes up with better solutions, we could migrate ours into theirs. And then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe we, we, we phase ours out. But the thing that we like about ours is we can do it now, fast, low cost, 
and it's a huge improvement for the people that are living on the street. Mm-hmm. In tents, the side of the road, places they're not allowed to be with no services. So we put them in, we, we, we offer them uh, a place where they're allowed to be. We've got, a, le- we've got a, a permit from the city. We've got a lease with the landowner, and they're allowed to be there. It's their place, and we give them services, uh, services that we all have in our lives, water, showers, bathrooms, kitchens, these types of things. And um, just that alone, we feel, is going to improve people's lives. It's not a handout. It's a hand up. You know, I, I, I've said that along. I've said it all along. It's, I, I sort of uh, I have a little analogy. Like you're, you're in a deep hole, and you can't quite climb out because the sides are all slippery, and you can't climb out. We're just putting a ladder down there. We're not going to cl- climb down there and carry them out. They got to climb up the ladder, but we're going to put that ladder down there. Yeah, and I think the great thing about your approach too is that um, because the homeless people themselves are involved in it right from the beginning, and they will know what is needed for them to to get where they want to go, and they can build on it and improve it as time goes on. Like you said, it's a start. And it's a start right away so that you can get on the problem right away. And it will change over time, of course, but this is the good way to solve the problem right now. Yeah, and I, I don't want to sound like the, uh, you know, the, uh, how could I call this, the um, the uh, bleeding heart liberal, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you have a lot of these people out there that are just going, you know, well, you know, they could just go get a job. <clears throat> they don't seem to realize that, you know, when you can't even shower, and you don't even have an address or a phone, even a landline, how are you supposed to go out there and fill in a resume and leave essentially blank? You look like crap, pardon the, the analogy well, here, like and you think show. this guy's just going to hire you? It doesn't work like that, you know? There's no way in hell, even if the guy with the best intention, you know? No, it's a... They have, they have this un- unrealistic... It's a naive thing. Is it, yeah, naive. just go work at Tim Hortons. I don't think so. That's not going to work. Well, that is that certainly is a common objection uh, where where people are like, hey, well, why should we help them? I don't have any help. But I think there's one thing that we need to understand, and it's something that uh, Nancy and I have talked about and we've learned through, through this process, is that these people that are in this position, they're not just college kids run amok who decided to be lazy and not work. Most of these people are, are people with either mental illness or substance abuse, and the substance abuse is often a result of uh, very early sexual abuse. So these are people that have uh, that have had a rough go of it. And and even beyond that, there's certainly people that can they have those traumatic things happen in their lives and make it through. But they have a great support system. They have they have moms and dads and grandmas and uncles and all these people that catch them. A lot of these people that you find on the street, they don't have that. They just they're mm-hmm. on their own. So when they have some tough times, they just they're completely on their own. So it really is. It's more of a you know, a lot of people look at this as a criminal type of a situation, but it's more of a, a health type of situation, mm-hmm. and that's that's how we're approaching it. The, you know, th- this whole idea of being a bleeding heart liberal, I, that is certainly one way that people could approach this and say, hey, we're just trying to help people and, and, and look at it as a moral issue. But I can tell you, if you're a conservative, there's a, a lot of reasons to do this as well, because these people, when they're um, living on the side of the street like, like this, they're 33% uh, higher impact on policing and emergency health care services. So if we put these people or if we provide homes for these people, we're going to see 33% savings in policing and emergency ho- hospital uh, or emergency health care. This will save Abbotsford money. So this, Beautiful. this is a program that, that, that's funded by donation. It's uh, funded by the province. And if it happens, it'll, it'll save Abbotsford money. This is going to be a money saver for Abbotsford. Beautiful. Now, I know this could become a uh, kind of a depressing show when you talk about homelessness and all the problems, so I'm going to go to this. What's that? Uh, 
yes. You know what this Rocky. music is. Rocky. Yes. This is our music theme whenever there's a pop quiz. <laughs> Uh-oh. So that's why you had that evil look. That's right. I've I got a pop about. quiz coming in today. Of course, we got Jeff versus Karen versus Nancy. Oh, no. Can I give up now and then I can you can spare You're me the agony win, of so. <laughs> No, 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 stay. This is, a, is this a three-way? I give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me and two ladies? Man, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of show. Okay. I'm in. You're going to start with a handicap right away. <laughs> All right. This is going to be very easy. We're just going to do this on uh, on some homeless stats that I just okay. picked up you see you guys from StatsCan sure. and stuff like that. So I think you guys have a... A, a very good, uh, where's my, where is it? Okay, perfect. Um, question one. This is from Stats Canada in 2006. Uh, Stats Canada says, blank percentage of renters in Abbotsford spend more than 30% of their income and are considered at risk of homelessness. In other words, what is the percentage of renters that are considered at risk of homelessness. So Those are the people that more th- spend more than 30% of their income on rent. Because oh. you're basically two steps away, you lose your job, that's it, you're homeless. So is it A, is it over 40%? Is it B, over 10%? Is it C, under 30%? Or is it D, 50%? Oh, wow. I, I, I'm going okay, with- since I've already resigned, I can give an answer and it's not going to count. I'd say it's got to be somewhere around 30-35% because um, oops, oops, I'm wrong already. See? Did you just buzz there? You, have, you can't do that until we've all given our answers. Okay, that fair enough. Fair oh, fair oh good. Enough. I got it well, out of the way. I'll be honest. I was okay. going over 40. That's what my answer was. I was going to go over 40 as well. That wow. is it. Yeah. Over 40% of the people in Abbotsford. You, you were right in there. You were right in You're there. You're close. You just you said under 30. Uh, it, actually, in Canada, it's kind of an epidemic. A lot of people spend uh, much more than that on their rent. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not... Which makes you, well, you know, which, of course, brings socioeconomical policies into uh, homelessness. Because, well, obviously, the rents are high. Uh, affordability is an issue, and wages are low. That's that's it. Yeah. When you have a, a community where the low rent is somewhere around $700 a month, mm-hmm. and that may be for a studio basement apartment, um, and you lose your job, there's, you know, one of the people on the on the um, our, our committee, uh, actually on the on the board, says you're just one bad decision away from homelessness. Yes. And she looks Indeed. at everybody and she said, I mean everybody. You're yeah. one yeah. bad decision, and I would say you're one one uh, Most firing or one job loss away as well. There's yeah. just yeah. no affordable housing. Economic crisis, here. anything, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Question two. The proportion of women in homelessness population went from 32.1% in 2008 to blank in 2011. Is it A, 30.9? Is it B, 45%? Is it C, 35.3? Or D, 39.1? I'll go 39.1. 39.1. What was B? Uh, B was 45. That's my guess. I'm going to go with Jeff on this one because... One of the again uh, using one of the ladies who is on our board, uh, she says in Abbotsford, forty percent of the homeless in Abbotsford oh. is forty percent. Forty percent women. Actually, forty percent. The, the answer yeah, was forty-five. Right, exactly. Oh, Karen. So we're higher than the. the there are more than the homeless average. women more now. More homeless women in 
Abbotsford than the national average. Yeah, uh, which is which is amazing because uh, oh. 2008 was the crash. So you would think the population, and for most of this day, the population of homelessness was worse in 2008 when the crash mm-hmm. happened. But yet there are more women that are homeless. And this is 2011. I'm not exactly sure. They don't have a stat for 2014 yeah. at this point. Well, uh, I just can say something about that. If you are battered and you run away from your uh, partner who's abusing you, where do you go? And uh, there's not very many programs for that sort of thing. And the ones that did exist, the government has cut a lot of them. Yeah. In fact, this house used to be a halfway house for women. And... Uh, the whole program got shut down. So what are you going to do? Stay and get abused or run away? Question three. How many beds in in transition houses in Abbotsford? How many beds in transition houses in Abbotsford? Is there A, 3, B, 10, C, 13, or D, 15? Might I remark that all these numbers are very low and way too low. Yeah, that uh, doesn't uh, seem right to me. Sorry, this is beds per house? or I don't quite no, understand. No, no, how many beds available? Total are there in Abbotsford? In, in total in Abbotsford. For yeah. transition houses. Yeah. For transition houses. Yeah, those numbers are... They're w- very low. Yeah, those are not up to date now. Um, I was going to say that it's probably something like over 100. Um, but because the, the, there was a court case uh, during that Jubilee thing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we have 151 by last count homeless people, and based on their survey, there was enough current beds available in Abbotsford to deal with the whole homeless population. Really? Now, the, pro- the problem is, is that a lot of these have barriers, and that's what, what our plan is different, is that a lot of them say you have to be clean. Uh, a lot of them say you can't have a pet. Yeah, there's all kinds of requirements, and it, it, that does does not serve a lot of this population uh, that well. So that's one of the keys behind our plan is uh, we have no barriers. There's not any reason that you would be uh, well, el- eliminated from... Then we'll, we'll just scratch that question. Yeah, that just because because those numbers seem yeah and, and beca- besides, there there's different ways to look at a transitional mm-hmm. house. For mm-hmm. instance, Christine Lamb in Abbotsford has 40 apartments, and those women can stay there uh, for two years. So would they be considered transitional, or is it transitional? You know, I, I'm really questioning. Time, I'm mm-hmm. really questioning the data from the host here. I'm really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hold on. That there. means he's oh. going to lose oh, with the no, quiz. He's got the board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mic suddenly went dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's done that to me before. <laughs> don't pick a fight with the host. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, question. In 2011, how many hopeless, homeless? In Abbey, in Abbotsford, was it A, 100, B, 117, C, 143, or D, probably more than the mayor thinks? <laughs> I'll go with 143. I'll go with 143 and more than the mayor thinks. <laughs> you know what? I've got, I'm not going to argue with you two? guys. 143. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys were close, but no, it's 117, and that mm. was 2011. Mm. Uh-huh. Didn't oh. Jeffrey, you you did a, a count, right? You'd... Yeah, the last count that was uh, commissioned by Fraser Health, um, and I think the number was 151. Um, uh, I was asked by um, Five and Two because Ward was sort of uh, helping out. Yeah. yeah, so he got some people and he called me out, and yeah, it was that was an interesting uh, experience for sure. Okay, we'll do a bonus round question. All right, bonus round. How many? What's the most homeless per capita? In Canada, which city has the most homeless per capita in the country? Okay. Is it Toronto? Is it Red Deer? Is it Saskatoon? Or is it Vancouver? Vancouver. I'd say Vancouver per capita. Okay, I'll go Vancouver. If we win, we all win. If we lose, we lose together. (laughs) 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 
No, I'm afraid you guys are... No, sorry. You, you guys don't have it. It is actually Red Deer. Red Deer. Red really? Deer, yeah, per capita, right? So Red Deer, the, ca- the, the percentage is 0.31. 0.31% of their population is homeless. Uh, Toronto has the most homeless, obviously, being yeah. the biggest city. But per capita, it's 0.19. Uh, Saskatoon is 0.12. And Vancouver is 0.27, which is still very high. Hmm. But Red Deer okay. actually beats it. So, sorry, guys. You guys... You failed. That surprises me because Red Deer has long, cold winters. So you'd think that you know, if I was a homeless person, I'd rather be in Vancouver. At least yeah. it's not so cold. But yeah. And apparently there's an estimated 200,000 people in 2013 that are homeless at some point or another in Canada. In this the country. Is, Car- That's Car- a lot. Karen just brought up a good point. You know, one, one of the... She did? She did. An excellent point. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> one of the... Uh, one of the uh, objections or concerns about about us building this village is that, and it sounds a little bad when you say it out loud, but some people say, you know, we're trying to help Abbotsford. What happens if you build this cool village and people come from all over, and then yeah. you, you, you increase the problem? And it's a it's a it's a common objection. It's a common concern. The reality is, though, is that um, people are living where they live yeah. for a reason. They they were born there. Their mom and dad live there. Their girlfriend lives there. They used to have a job there. There's all kinds of reasons why people live where they live. We're not going to get people from uh, you know Halifax jumping on a train and coming over here because we've got these little cabins. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Because how would they afford it? Well, travel is certainly something that's not that easy for folks like this. So it, it just is not the it's not what, what you're going to see. There are, certainly are some people that are transient, but whenever you look at the population in an area, they're there for other reasons. So, um, you know, to that point, uh, I just, it, you know, people that are in Red Deer, they just probably are there because that's where they live, you know, yeah. so. No, that's right. Yeah. I have a question about the houses. So you're going to be building some cabins, but what if uh, someone comes, say they have something, or they are, they've been a, a woodworker and they, they can build their own or something? Is that something that you, you're allowing uh, people to supply their own? Yeah, we we're we're pretty wide open in terms of that. In fact, uh, on the drive over, Nancy and I were sort of joking about our our, our you know discussions on building cabins. We haven't yet uh, really finalized that. We're open. The biggest thing with the cabins are um, they have to be small, and, and because once they get to a certain size, you have uh, building codes. Like mm-hmm. I think the um, the code is over. Uh, 107 square feet. So that's roughly 10 by 10 or 8 mm-hmm. by 12. Once you get over that size, then you have building codes. You have to do permits. You have all kinds of structural stuff. It becomes much more expensive to build them. So our really only requirement is to keep them to that size. They have to be portable. And then beyond that, there's all kinds of different ideas. I mean, um, I met with the University of Fraser Valley, and they have a construction program there, and they've offered to build our cabins as part of their uh, curriculum for their for their oh, wow, woodworking that's students. Excellent. Very cool. Um, we've got all kinds of companies coming to us uh, offering to help us out um, we've got uh, we're doing it plans right now um, and we, you know Nancy's their group has had an idea of where the the potential residents um, help build the cabin themselves that way they're invested I, I don't know Nancy if you want to talk a little bit about that no absolutely I think anything that you do when you participate and you're a part of it you have I guess what the real estate people used to call or maybe still do pride of ownership and I think when you build it it's yours you um, uh, take a, a little more care in how you how you treat it and and you begin to develop pride in yourself so in in doing something for yourself you do something for others and you do something to build the community and I think it's important for the people in the village to realize that whatever skills that they have that 
that when they give them to the village, it helps everybody to grow and it helps it to be a, more of a success because we see people grow, we see the gardens grow, and we see the the village grow itself. And what could what really could be a better outcome than that? Mm-hmm. The, the only real thing that we're sort of sticking to is that we we want this to look nice. We want it to be something that. When a when a when somebody drives down the street and looks at it, they say that's a beautiful little village. We we just want it to be pleasing to the eye, uh, and that can mean a lot of different things. But that's that's really the only restriction that we're going to have is we want it to look nice. Uh, we've come up with a design that actually has a has a little loft and has a little front porch, and it's just the cutest little cabin you you, you could ever see. So um, we we want to build a beautiful village for for Abbotsford to be proud of. Is this going to become an election issue? Ah, well. Um, what an incredibly stupid question. <laughs> I think that's the answer. <laughs> I think it already Thank is. You, Christopher. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be topical, but I think that uh my suspicion is is that no um no uh, potential candidate for any office, whether it's council or the mayorship, uh they're not gonna want to answer the question of why they don't support something like this. I'm I'm assuming that. But yeah. um uh, so whether or not they're gonna put it on their poster and be at the front of our parade, I, I doubt it's gonna be that big a deal, but I I, I, we're anticipating support from from everybody, and people we've talked to, they, they generally support our idea anyway. So, whether it's uh, their own personal um, view or whether they think it's it's the right thing to do in, in this climate, I think they're, we're going to get the support. I would just say to that that everyone who's listening to this um, should go to their local all candidates meeting and ask questions of the councillor and mayoral candidates. And that's ask usually them, the response, right? Ask them what they think of this. Ask them if they're going to support it. Ask them if they're going to supply services. I agree. I agree. And I'm kind of wondering on the same uh, thing, though. Why have... Well, it seems to me that uh, in Abbotsford, uh, the Mennonites have a big say, and they seem to have been very quiet about it. Or is it just my imagination? What have you guys heard? Well, we've met with Ron Van Wick from MCC, and he's supportive of our idea. Um, uh you know they're not they're not uh, actively <clears throat> involved in the project at this point. But every every conversation I've had with Ron, uh, they've been in support of us. And again, one of the things that you know I don't want to speak for Ron, of course, but um, you know one of his concerns is um, can we do better? Uh, you know can we can we offer something better? So um, I think that Ron, that that MCC probably supports uh, other um, initiatives as well. But uh, to my knowledge, they're 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 behind what we're doing. Cool. It's a great quote. I don't remember who said it, but it's a it's worse to err to do nothing for fear of making an error than to to make an error. Basically, it's better to do something <coughs> even if it's wrong than to just do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's again, I, that's one of the things that I always uh, look to uh, when people say, "Can we do better? Is this good enough?" and all these sorts of things. Uh, you know, do, is a is a campsite type of a concept uh, good enough? Well. Maybe not compared to a million-dollar home, but compared to living on yeah. the side of the street in a tent yeah. uh, with absolutely no services, uh, it's a huge improvement. Yeah. And 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 if we did something like this, it doesn't mean we like Nancy said originally. It's uh, this is one idea. This is not the idea. So it doesn't mean we can't still continue to work on other solutions mm-hmm. and come up with with a, an additional plans to augment uh, you know uh, the solution. Um, but. Um, this is this is a drastic improvement over you know people's Absolutely. lives right now. And yeah. like you said, even just to know that you're not going to get chased away tomorrow by the RCMP, that's a big step forward right there, just because it's their home. Yeah. And if we do a good job, and if we 
provide the housing and the services that that are needed uh, one of the outcomes we hope is that it motivates the the city government and and perhaps other nonprofits to look for other solutions and they can say you know this this was a start well now maybe we can do something more with with a building maybe we can do something more with affordable mm-hmm. housing you have to start someplace exactly and so even even if it's not going to be perfect it's hopefully going to be enough to provide the, the the kind of housing and the kind of services that people need and maybe an inspiration you know for mm-hmm. for others to do the same that would be that would be great yeah you know you know Karen to to build on what you just said there um a place where they're allowed to be <clears throat> I was talking the other day with somebody and and, and we, they were thinking you know Everywhere we go in our lives, there's a time limit. You know, when you go to the movies, you got two hours. When the movie's over, you got to get out. When you go to dinner at a restaurant, you you can stay there while you're eating your meal. When your meal's finished, you got to get out. When you go to the library, when the hours for the library are closed, you got to get out. There's a time limit everywhere we go in life, except for one place. That's our home. We're 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 allowed to be here as long as we want. So if you don't have a home, you you don't have anywhere on the planet where you're allowed to be. Always, mm-hmm. and that's the case for these people. They're they're constantly, they're, you know, they're trying to find these little places where they can set up their tent and, and hide and, and and stay out of the sight. But you know, maybe they're on private property. Maybe they're on a, a BC Hydro right away. Maybe they're on municipal property and or a park or whatever. And they're constantly, constantly under threat of being chased away or moved by somebody or somebody else. So, you know, <clears throat> we talk about building these nice cabins with services, and that's all fine and dandy. But I think the most important thing that we're providing these people is a place where they're allowed to be. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 pretty important. I'm, I'm going to tell a. Do we have time? I'll tell a. a, a we don't. Small we story. have as much time as we can have. <laughs> this, this is the bonus show. Yeah. <laughs> this is the bonus show. But I, I think one one thing that um, and I'm going to include Jeff on on this, and if he has something different to say afterward, he will. But. Oftentimes we look at the homeless as those people and we don't really understand personally what they're going through, how they feel, how they got there, how difficult it is to get out. Well, during the last couple of weeks, as you may know, uh, BC um, Hydro had people move from their property, mm-hmm. and there was no place for a lot of them to go. Part of the property still has the teepee site is still there, but there was this large stretch of land where people were living, but there, there was nothing offered to most of them. So there was no housing. There was no anything. So Jeff and I helped one of the people move, and we loaded up all of the belongings in the car and in the trailer and so forth. And then it was, okay, we're loaded. Where do we go? And so we started to look for a place to go, and she said, well, I know of one place. And we drove to this little secluded area, And as we were looking in this little secluded area, some people came out on their balcony at a building nearby. And I said, this isn't going to work because they're going to chase you away and you have no privacy. And then it was finding another property where some other homeless people were staying, but she didn't know whether or not she could stay there. So we had to find 
the concierge of, of this little area to find out is it okay with him if she moves her things in. So that necessitated a trip across Abbotsford to find him. So finally we ended up at this little area in Abbotsford that she could call home, and we unloaded. And I think both Jeff and I took a huge deep breath and said, what if this was us? Mm-hmm. What if someone had to make help us move from one area to the other where we don't have water, we don't have food, we don't have anything, we have so little protection, especially women, you're mm-hmm. vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it made us both realize, I'm speaking for you, Jeff, but it made us both realize how important this village is, you know, to mm-hmm. supply a place where someone as Jeff said, they can stay. It's your private place where you're safe mm-hmm. and no one will interfere, hopefully, you know, with your starting to live a good life. It was it was a it was an awful experience and it was a wonderful experience in, in, in many ways. I wonder mm-hmm. if we had a different concept of ownership of land. Maybe we wouldn't have that that, that issue. You know, if we ever thought that you could not particularly own a piece of land, a bit like the ancient natives used to do, right? They were stewards of the land, but the land didn't belong to anybody. Then maybe the, the, the whole thing of you're on my land would not be an issue there with something like homelessness. It might be easier to solve. But, of course, we're not going to start changing all of society to solve homelessness, I'm pretty sure, but I'm sure we can find a way. But I'm just, it's just a philosophical exercise. Well, Don't I mind think, me. I I'll think go there back are, to eating paste. I think there are some groups actually trying to do just that. Now, not, you know, that'll only, you only have the ability to do that with so much. I mean, I think what they're trying to do is uh, with any sort of public property, say municipally owned property, they're trying to get the legal right to camp there. So if you were homeless, you could legally camp on public property. And then that's obviously not allowed right now, but there are groups um, that are before the courts, I think, as we speak, with lawsuits to try to make that happen, to, to your point. Whether or not that's a good thing, I I personally don't know if it's a good thing because you can't just all of a sudden start having everybody set up tents in a little park. I just don't know how practical that is. Um, but um, uh, you are right. I mean, I think that this this issue is is bigger than just, um, you know, this group of people that might have, you know, some, some challenges, whether it's mental illness or drug or substance abuse issues. You talked about the uh, the number of renters in Abbotsford that are that are spending more than 30% of their, their income on, on rent. These are all high-risk people of being homeless. But mm-hmm. they, they're, they're not your traditional homeless people. They're just regular people. And this is, yeah. this is not an issue of them not working, uh, maybe not even be an issue of them not making enough money. Like the working um, poor. Well, yeah, it's just that it's, re- real estate is so expensive in mm-hmm. this part of the world. It's so expensive. I, I, when my mom and dad bought their house in the 70s, their first house, they're, they're, they were each making about $10,000 gross income a year. So their combined gross was $20,000. They bought their first house for $22,000. So their blue-collar combined gross salaries was the price of a house. Mm-hmm. Now a, a starter home in Abbotsford is about four hundred grand. Yeah. So what is, what, what's the combined gross of two young people starting out today? Would they even be making seventy? Oh, not even. Not even. Oh, even if you so get a university degree, to, you won't get close well, to that. Well, but if you say 70, that's a, affordability or a, a reduction in affordability of a factor of six. Yeah. And, and just in one generation, from my parents to, to now. And 
Yeah. I, I don't know exactly. I'm not an economist, but that's a big problem. And yeah. so I don't yeah. think we should be asking an economist about these kind of questions <laughs> yeah. because that, they've been steering us that way. Yeah. And yeah. and it, 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 part of that too is that um, like you were talking about the job at Tim Hortons before. Well, that used to be a teenage job or working at McDonald's. That was your first job. Well, it's not anymore. The people who work there yeah. are my age. That's not. Uh, it's not just an entry job. It's just a job that someone has to have because they have to make the rent. Yeah, and uh, and so the whole demographics have shifted. The, that's quite true. It's quite true. The uh, the average uh, the average uh, sorry the average age for a McDonald's something like that apparently now is 28, which is Karen's age, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know something that's really interesting, and, and uh, Nancy and I have talked a little bit about this sort of a potential next step for our society, or for anybody that matter, um, is this idea of affordable housing, not just necessarily for the homeless, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a thing you guys might want to check out. It's pretty interesting. It's called the Tiny House Movement or the Tiny Home Movement, and it's a, it's a worldwide movement to address exactly this issue that we're talking about. And um, we actually have a friend of ours, Kayla Freenstra. She's on our board. Dragon Lily Gardens. She actually built a little uh, a little house. She was in the newspaper locally, mm. and so she so actually went down this 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 path of trying to create this minimalistic type of lifestyle. It's very cool. It's something that um, that we've talked about briefly. I don't know if Abbotsford Dignitarian Society will will get involved in it, but it's certainly something that interests me and. Um, um, something maybe you guys, if you're interested, check it out. Yeah, I've seen things online, and yeah, it's fascinating. We'll take a look at it. People who are not interested in joining the current monetary system, and they just uh, create yeah. their own spaces. A lot of them is minimalistic type of ideas, like uh, there's a thing called the uh, the 100 thing plan. So can you live with 100 things? That's that's including your T-shirts, your toothbrush, your radio, your books, just 100 things. And uh, it, the way we live today, it's it's hard to think we could live that way but if you look around at your house most of the stuff is just sitting there doing nothing it's not part of your daily life yeah. so we just sort of get these big buildings and we store things and we don't even use them so it's a just a minute to point out that Jeff was looking at the studio when he was saying that. <laughs> looking around at <laughs> all looking the at stuff everything you that's in here yeah, well, well, there's a be. lot of stuff I wasn't judging my friend I wasn't judging <laughs> well, well I think we should change gear for now and do another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. That was a fascinating discussion. Thank you both very much. And for all your hard work. Oh, it's not done. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We, we love talking about this. Welcome. My pleasure. It's not done. Oh, no, you're it's not, not done. done. I'm just saying. You're, just, you're just not just getting saying. away oh. from us oh. that uh, easily. Yeah, you can't leave yet. But, <laughs> but, you know, we do this segment because the wacky world of religion always has stuff for fun to, for us to talk about. Um, I'm going to go international this week. Um, did you guys, you guys know that uh, in Africa they had uh, uh, kind of a forum on the uh, gays and lesbian, the LGBT uh, rights, and President Obama was there. And uh, okay, Africa is an enormous continent. Where was this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I did not write down where exactly it was. Somewhere in, in deepest Africa. Africa. Yeah, Africa. somewhere in Africa. But anyway, I I, I just wanted to say. Speaking of gays and their gay rights and all that, uh, a few things that are happening in Africa. Um, Kenya introduced a bill to kill the gays, uh, a, ba- a bill that actually calls for public stoning. Um, it was introduced by a member of the Republican Liberty Party. Boy, does that sound familiar, doesn't Republican. it? Yeah, in Kenya. It's not the Republican of the United States. It's the Republican Liberty Party in Kenya. The name of the guy is Edward... Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this. On Wonga Nyakiriga, I think. And uh, 
He's calling for a death penalty for aggravated homosexuality. Aggravated? Aggravated. That's a, that's a crime. You'd be accused of aggravated homosexuality, and that would get you the death penalty. And the funny thing is, in the meanwhile, heterosexual polygamy was legalized. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you can see who's in charge. <laughs> in the meantime, Uganda. Remember Uganda when they had the anti-gay law that passed not too long ago? Yeah. Well, apparently their constitutional court ruled August 1st that the Anti-Homosexuality Act is void. And it was a, basically a question of procedure. So yeah. the law did not actually kind of go through. It wasn't that they were changing their mind. I think no. there, was just, there was no quorum yeah, on exactly. the vote or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it was a question of procedure. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be reintroduced. Yeah. Uh, and all these are usually um, pushed by uh, American evangelical NGOs, non-government organizations, yeah. like World Vision. I was shocked by that because I thought World Vision was actually one of the kind of good guys. They always have their ads on TV. Uh, but now they account for more than one-fifth of all NGOs in the country. And they have a lot of power. And they're actually invited by politicians for the, some of these forums and discussions, while the secular ones are not. And in uh, Liberia, Christians' leaders claim that God has unleashed Ebola to punish immoral acts. Any thoughts on this craziness? I just like to say that uh, under since Stephen Harper has been our prime minister, um, he has cut funding to secular NGOs substantially, but has increased funding to Christian NGOs. So uh, just within Canada, the ones that would go and help and not request that you you know join their worship service have have been severely limited in what they can do, whereas the Christian ones have been promoted. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, definitely these things are, are um, much worse in other parts of the world than in Canada. Uh, even if you look to the south, there's some horrible policies um, that are being you know, driven by the conservative right. Uh, things like uh, limiting um, access to abortions for women, yeah. Yeah. birth control, this Hobby Lobby thing. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. All this stuff, uh, voting rights. I could do an entire show oh, yeah. every week just by the stupid... Pardon my French here, with the stupid shit politicians say, say, religious politicians say down in the states. Yeah. I could fill an entire show every week just with that stuff. Yeah, and 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 this is this is the United States, the leader, you know, one of the leading countries yeah. of the world, you know. So I mean, you know, sometimes I guess you can look to uh, some of these uh, developing countries and say, well, you know. That sort of stuff can still happen, but again, it's happening to our neighbors in the south. And, and as Karen mentioned, there's sort of there's sort of little leanings towards these conservative yes, religious exactly. ideas, even in Canada. And uh, well, like uh, you might point to um, the problem at uh, Trinity with the law school, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So these types of things are just slippery slopes. And I and I think I, I, I think, think the majority of the population is not aware. They don't think so. They oh, think, you know, a lot of this stuff is really hard to find out. Yeah. You have to dig and dig and dig. It's not something that you would be aware of unless you actually actively went to search for it. It's like, it's like when I saw World Vision. I was shocked by that. I mean, World Vision is supposed to be one of those really good ones. And, you know, they have those little ads and feed the children, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, they're in, the, they're in it all, all the way as well. So it's, you know, it's kind of sad to really think, see that and... Oh well. <laughs> well, I think that's what gives groups like ours, uh, you know, some validity, and you know, mm -hmm. you've got to keep people honest. And like, there's this guy. What's that guy? Silverman in the U.S. He, head of the American Atheist. I think. Yeah, David Silverman. He's always fighting this fight. Oh and, uh, yes. You know, he 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 gets you know you get sort of labeled as you know the angry atheist, but I mean he's keeping people honest, and uh, somebody has to do that, right? Oh yeah. That's right. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I just love the way he he's brought on Fox News on a regular basis, and he <laughs> he just plasters them all the time. Yeah. And all he has to say is, you know, equality. That's all he has to say. Until, equality. Until he he they cut his mic off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, are we doing the? Oh, are we going to do the segment with Ahmed? Do we have time? Well, we got as much time as we want. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's up to you. Okay. Well, if. We'll, uh, I kind of feel bad because, like I said, the last show, we had Augment, but we had Skype problems. So we got only, like, the beginning of the conversation. Uh, I called him back. Skype wasn't much better, but I actually did manage to get a bit of a conversation. Um, so I'm going to get that up there. And it was interesting to talk to a Muslim man, and he's very smart. And I want, you guys are both atheists, so I kind of want the atheist point of view on uh, what he was saying. We only got a few questions. Eventually, we'll bring him in, and we'll try to bring you guys in at the same time. It'll be a very interesting conversation. Uh, but while I do that, why don't you guys tell us more about how people can reach for the project and what they're doing there? <laughs> <laughs> well, our uh, our website is uh, abbotsfordhomeless.com. And uh, I think our donate button is up, and there's some information on that website. Uh, there should be uh, some news stories, uh, some information on who we are, what we're doing. Uh, there should be pretty soon a presentation up there, which is the presentation we've been giving everybody on our village. Um, there should be some uh, contact email. Uh, so I think that's probably the best best way, abbotsfordhomeless.com. Okay. And we also have the Facebook page, which oh. actually has our name on it, which is Abbotsford Dignitarian Society, and so you can do a search. And I think what what's on web, one website is also on the, the Facebook page. And anyone who has uh, perhaps some services that they would like to donate um, or become involved in some way, uh, we're going to have an awful lot of projects. There's room for everybody. We want this to be uh, something that is backed by the community and that we have a good relationship uh, from the village to the community and, and vice versa. So if you have an idea, if you have a service, if you have something that you'd like to discuss with us, please feel free to do that. We welcome um, everybody, everybody's input in, in helping to make our, our village a success. Excellent, excellent. I sure hope people go in and, have, well, of course, you can count on us. We'll be there with you well, guys. we know we can. For sure. <laughs> and you said there's a, a public meeting uh, for, about the rezoning on the 28th? August 28th, yeah. It's at uh, 6.30 at... It's the Abbotsford Virtual School. Yeah, it's on Pine, on Pine. Street. Yeah, yeah. There, there will be advertising it in the uh, in the newspaper mm-hmm. um, very shortly. So, okay. And we hope to have our own public forum as well, where we invite the public in uh, for their questions, and we might even be able to have a show and tell. We might even be able to have a cabin built it uh, eventually to be able to to show off that Lovely. people can go through and see exactly the size and what we're doing. People love to walk through and see what's going on. So maybe in September, October, we'll be able to do that as well. And Perfect. Kevin, I know you can swing a hammer, so if you're interested... Well, we'll I can swing. I can't necessarily hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. We're, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be building a cabin in the next probably week to 10 days, so I'll let you know what's happening if you want to come out. And oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. that'd be awesome. I'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, now we're going to take off the hat of uh, the uh, homeless uh, advocates, uh, can you say that? Homeless? Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And we'll put on the uh, Fraser Valley Atheist, Skeptics, and Humanists hat. And uh, here's Ahmed. Uh, sound quality is not great, uh, but uh, pause it whenever you tell me to pause it, and we can discuss whatever you say. Well, we're back, and we got Ahmed back with us. Hi, Ahmed. Thank you for coming. Hi. 
Well, last time we had some Skype problems, and hopefully this time we won't get these problems. So let's hopefully. recap what we talked about last time. Uh, you hear me correctly? Yes, you're fine? The voice level is fine? Everything's fine? <laughs> I can hear you. The, the voice uh, sometimes like gets cut off and it comes back immediately. Yeah, I'm hearing the same. Hopefully we won't have too much of that problem there. So, so last time we spoke, you said that uh, you were a, a Sunni Muslim, right? That you grew yes. up, you grew up in Egypt, and you uh, moved to Canada in the uh, about uh, four years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh. And um, and you said you fa- you had the, you called a, a couple of incidents where you did face a bit of discrimination in uh, Canada, uh, especially uh, your wife. Now, if you guys didn't hear the last episode, uh, the Sunni Muslim is the vast majority of the Muslims out there. Uh, the difference is the Sunni believes that. You know, you had Muhammad, and then you had a couple of people, and then the third descendant after Muhammad was actually his cousin, and there's a dispute. Um, the Sunni believe that, okay, these guys were the chief, but the Shia believe that the two, the two in between Muhammad and his cousin don't count. And that is essentially the dispute between the Shia and the Muslim. And he was also recalling that uh, his wife faced a couple of uh, terrorist calls. People called her a terrorist because she was wearing the hijab, obviously. Yeah, that's, that's happened like a couple of times, but uh, other than that, um, nothing really serious. Yeah, they were pretty much quite good. They're pretty much wacko peoples, as I believe we call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can you'll meet those everywhere, but uh, generally speaking, Canadians are actually nice people. Yes, well, generally, well, that's because you you haven't known me for that long yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me from from a Muslim's point of view. What's the difference, for, uh, as, as far as you see, between the, the Quran and the Bible? If you were to explain it to, uh, to, uh, to, to somebody else, how, how would you explain that? Okay, uh, basically what the uh, uh, general Islamic belief is in regards to the Quran and to the Bible, uh, the general belief is that the Bible was originally God, uh, God's words, uh-huh. and then it got manipulated. Over time, the manuscript got uh, rewritten, things were taken off, thing, many things were added on, and uh, so it got changed a lot by people. So you're, you're, you're uh, kinda, so you're kind of saying that the Quran is kind of like the Bible 2.0, better, better and improved? Uh, sort of. It, it's like a, a continuity of, the, of God's messages to, to mankind. Oh, okay. Okay, so part two. Okay, the message from God part two. I get that. Or actually, it's, it's more than part two because we believe that the, the, the Bible, there's the Old Testament, which was the... Uh, we believe that the only part of the Old Testament that is considered God's words are the um, Ten Commandments that came to Moses. The Pause. Now, I didn't ask him because there's two versions of the Ten Commandments in the Bible. So I didn't ask him which one he was talking about, right? And I'm, maybe that's one of the questions I'll ask him one day when he's here. But I was surprised to see that only the Ten Commandments is pretty much what they like of the Old Testament. And the rest is... Did he, did he explain that? 
Oh, sorry, I turned your mic off there. Say did, that again. Did he explain uh, why only the Ten Commandments? No, I don't think we got into it, but you know, this is one of the questions we'll be able to bring in later, and also which version, right? Because mm. they're complete radical. Right? you got Exodus 22 and then Exodus 34. You know, Exodus 34 has got, you know, thou shall not boil a baby goat in his mother's milk. It doesn't make any sense at all. Though. Yeah. Thou shall not forget the Feast of Eleven Bread. You know, it's not any of the classic Ten Commandments we know. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting that according to them, you know, they and did you guys watch the uh, Matt Dillon Hunty versus Cy Ten Cake debate? Uh, it happened at the end of May. I think I did. Yeah, there was this wonderful uh, line that Cy Ten uh, comes in and he says um, what he tells Muslim is, you know, that the Bible is the Word of God. And they say yes. Well, it says the Bible is the Word of God, but in the Quran it says the Bible, uh, uh, the Word of God cannot be uh, corrupted. So if the Bible is the Word of God, then it cannot be corrupted. That means the Bible is true and the Quran is false. That's basically the logic he's making there. And I thought, wow, that's taking it far. Well, didn't he also say the Bible was originally the Word of God, but then it got sort of corrupted through the translation well, of that? that? So, but, but, but if it can't get corrupted, how, he said it got corrupted. Yeah, that's right. So that's it's a right. bit of a contradiction. The in Muslims what, are saying it got corrupted, but Saitan says, according to the Quran itself, they say the Word of God cannot be corrupted. So you got a yeah. kind of dichotomy of yeah. thought here, which is, I thought was interesting. These are the only God's Word that we can acknowledge. But however, even those Ten Commandments, they got changed and manipulated. Okay. Uh, the rest of the Old Testament for us as Muslims, uh, is, is basically man's words, I all see. man's writing. I see. And uh, then we come to the New Testament, and uh, we also believe that the only part of it where actually God's word is whatever Jesus said, and even that also got manipulated over time. Yeah, I, uh, for, as far as Muslims are concerned, Jesus is like he's like a, uh, a prophet, right? He's he's not he's not a divinity. He's not the son of God. He's just like a good prophet. No, no, no. We believe that Jesus is a prophet, one of the greatest prophets, same as Muhammad, same as Moses, same as Abraham, and all the other prophets. I was shocked by that. I did not know they thought of Jesus as the same as Moses and Abraham. Yeah, I, I knew that. I, I, I was I was surprised by that. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much the same view that the Baha'is have, that they're equal in terms of prophets. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, we also that there are lots of prophets that we don't know of, that they were not mentioned in these books. There is there is a verse in the Quran that says that, that there are many prophets, that there is no one nation that was not sent a prophet at one point of the time to tell them that the real God has to be worshipped. But oh, not all prophets were mentioned. Well, you know, the and Mormons the, are just going to love hearing that because they, they probably believe that Joseph Smith is, was their prophet, so they're just going to love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yes. <laughs> uh, no, but we also believe that Muhammad was the, the last prophet and the Quran was the final um, word from God to humankind. Okay. That's but the, the, the pause. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Everything. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. The Old Testament's good. The New Testament's uh, New Testament's good. And then the Quran comes in. Oh, and by the way, the Quran's the end. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's you know, it. There's no improvement once that one is done. You know. <laughs> no more prophets. No more. That's it. Final. Final. Just to let you know. And there's an exam after that. Exactly. You better know your stuff. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 almost a diplomatic way of saying yeah, your religion is great too, but you know what? We got the final shiny version. You know. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant, which is. A bit contrary to what we know about Muhammad, because he spread a lot of Islam by the sword, if we can use that turn of phrase, right? So it's, it's almost diplomatic to hear that. 
the, the creation story of Genesis, uh, do Muslims believe in that too? It's very, very, very different in the Quran. Very, very different, you say? How so? Yeah, it's, uh, um, to, to talk in detail about that would take quite a time. I would, um, I would like to refer you to a book by a French scientist. His name is Maurice Bokai. Okay. Let me get you the, um, uh, the exact guiding. He wrote a book named um, Quran, the Torah, and the Gospel in the uh, and the modern science. Something like that. I'll, I'll get you the exact name, but uh, just give me while we chat. I'll I'll, I'll Google it up and I'll. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It, sure. It, that 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 book covers in details the the differences between uh, stories in the Quran and stories in the Bible. In, in relation to uh, the creation of the world, the creation of the earth, the creation of life. And uh, this guy was a French scientist, and then he later on converted to Islam because he saw that the, uh, the stories in the Quran are more in, in line with, with the current scientific uh, findings. Okay. The uh, few notice, uh, things I've noticed also about uh, Islam is, uh, for example, uh, Angels apparently have no free will of their own. Pause. Yeah, I just thought that since we were talking about the creation and Genesis, I thought I would add a little thing. I don't know if you saw it, Nancy, but I'm currently embroiled in an online debate with Gerda about Genesis. Oh, and you're the, such a brave man. I know. What, well, oh, um, uh, somebody, well, I'm not even going to go into that. But anyways, uh, it's the contradiction between the uh, account of, of creation in Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2. There's, a, there's an order mix-up in... In Genesis 1, I believe they, God creates the animals first and then man, and then in Genesis 2, he creates man and then the animals. And uh, so yeah. I, I'm having lots of fun. If you want to check out Abbots for Today, that's on there. So. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Most people don't know that about their Bible. They don't know that. In, I believe in Genesis 1, it says uh, men and women are created at the same time. In Genesis yeah. 2, they create man first and woman after. Well, it's actually man, animals, and then woman, I think is oh, how it goes. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for clarifying that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to know. <laughs> you know, there is an order of priority here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, first, first the cattle and then the, the, gir- the gals. If I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, because religion is not one of my top subjects, but I think in Judaism it's the animals first and then man because man is the caretaker. So he was created last, so but, he but in, be a caretaker. But in Genesis mm-hmm. 2.19 it said that um, we don't want man to be alone, so we created the animals. It actually says that. We don't want man to be alone, so I created the animals for him. Genesis 2.19. That uh, is why they just had, <laughs> in our last episode, Doug was talking about anal jihad with goats. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it came from. And we just crashed at you. Yeah, well, that's... We're not uh, going to continue with Doug, man. Not exactly. They, they, they don't have the will to disobey, to put it that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Angels are not... Uh, like we believe that the angels were created by God with a very they are first of all they are, we believe that they are created from uh, light photon yeah. angels start and uh, they are of course out of terrestrial creatures and they are not they do not have the uh, psychologically they don't they do not have the, the choice to disobey they are created to obey orders. So no matter no matter how they don't have the commandment, the commandment yes, they will I agree with your first statement that they don't have free will. Yes, that, I think that that would be correct. Yeah. Yes. Well, okay, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, so let's get on to Mohammed, will you? What are they then? They're just uh, they're, they're, they're like servants, automatons in a way. You know, okay. they're, they're from light. 
which is makes them very light, I bet. You know, when you create from photons. Uh, <laughs> hmm. going to kill me when he hears this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they cannot disobey. They don't have that that process in their mind that says, you know, no, I'm not going to take an order. It's automatic. Hmm. There is no. God says, you know, jump. How high? Okay, did, did, I don't know if you discussed this. Does he, do they believe in hell? I don't. Uh, I, don't I we didn't get that far. But, you know, okay. like I said, we'll have to bring him here one of these days for sure. Um, yes. how come how come we can't draw pictures of Mohammed? Why why is it offensive to uh, if somebody decides to make a, a painting of Mohammed? Why why is it why is it forbidden to do that? This is something that is currently under debate, by the way. Uh, the origin of that, the, 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 the clerics, they didn't want to open the door uh, for critics. And they considered, uh, the, not only, by the way, it's not only Muhammad, uh, the Islamic clerics believe that we should not draw any of the prophets. Oh, really? It's not only Muhammad. Okay, well, Muhammad is obviously the one we yeah, always they hear believe about. That Jesus or Moses or Abraham or, all these, or, or any of the prophets, because they think that this will be opening the door to critic, to, to critic them and make comics out of them and stuff like that. Huh. Well, you don't... They are, uh, if, if you want to criticize them, you can criticize them, like, um, kind of academically, but, but not by mocking or not by degrading their future. Well, it's kind but of a shame because... Actually, even this is now under debate because there's a lot of Muslims there that they think that this is actually bullshit and uh, it's, 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 it's <laughs> happening whether you like it or not. You gotta love a Muslim that says bullshit right away like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ahmed for that. He's so down to earth, the guy. He's not the lawyer that comes to our to our meetings, is it? No, 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 no. no. Oh. You've never met him. Okay, he's okay. the guy I actually work with. Okay, okay. Not so uh, we're, gonna have to... we're gonna have to wind this up uh, in a <coughs> couple of minutes. So yeah, we got ten minutes left. Have to. Uh, so let's go uh, through this fast. Kind of cope with it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's a shame because one of the uh, one of the best pictures I remember seeing of Jesus was him playing pool. And he's on the table, and he's he's aiming the cue, but he's actually going through his hand with it. <laughs> I thought that was really amazing, and I thought, you know, wow, <laughs> I I, w- I wish uh, some of the uh, uh, Muslims out there would have that kind of sort of humor about their prophet. Um, <laughs> it, it, no, actually, if, if you if you dig uh, if you dig enough in the uh, in the old uh, books, even the Islamic books, you will find that some people actually drew him, even Muslims at the, the old. But it was not uh, generally accepted, especially in the last 200 years or so, or maybe 150 years or so, uh, because of reasons that I told you. Okay. Um, did did did, uh, did fly to heaven? Oh, one, one, one addition to this point, sorry, before sure, we sure, go sure. on to the next point. Uh, part of that, that the, one, of the ex, um, one of the clerics point of view is that drawing anything with a spirit is forbidden. And that's, that's kind of a, a bit of an extremist point of view. But uh, that has a, a very uh, long uh, history in the Islamic culture. And there are a lot of pe- people that believe that, that you should not be drawing anything with a spirit. And it, it, it's, uh, I don't believe in that, don't believe in that, but uh, still many, many Muslims do. And this is part of why they also, especially, they said especially prophets would be more, uh, it would be more forbidden even to draw. But I, I think that that idea of forbidding uh, that was the origin of what, where this came from originally. Huh. An old superstition that has survived to this day is what you're saying. You know, superstition that's not sorry. I, I uh, it's, a, it's an old superstition that has survived to this day uh, to draw, uh, not yeah. to draw spirits. Yeah. Okay. It's it's 
if I recall superstition, but it's originally coming from a um, something that was said that Muhammad uh, believed that Muhammad said, and and he, this brings us to a very important issue here in, and and debatable issue in in the current Islamic uh, uh, study. We have two sources for uh, for, for Islam. We have the Quran, uh-huh. and that, and then we have what we call the Sunnah, which is the the sayings of the Prophet. That has uh, nothing to do with the Hadith, the, uh, does it? The Hadith, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, you know about that. So it, it, it is the, the Sunnah is the Hadith. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. So the Hadith is a second source of uh, Islamic values and, and rules and Sharia and everything. And this is where most of the debate is. Because the Quran was all uh, gathered, written, and documented very, very briefly after the Prophet died. But his sayings or the hadith, these were not documented till 200 or 300 years later. They start documenting them. And when they documented them, they said, okay, so we heard that this guy told us that this guy told him that this guy told him that he heard Muhammad saying so and so. Yes, and now the, and, that, and then they, they they started to 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 um, to study each one of these guys who are who who, who mentioned this to to try to find out who's the liar who's not to try to see what did he actually say what did he actually not say and there are huge huge anyway, volumes of books for this specific. anyway I'm gonna kind of stop it now anyway because uh, Ahmed goes on to basically say that um, the Quran is really was written when Muhammad was there the Hadith was kind of after so you know hearsay in a way and then I asked him about if he actually flew to heaven on a winged horse and then he says the the actual word in the Quran doesn't mean war horse it just means crawling creature of some kind so he could have been a camel he could have been a monkey he could have been a horse which I think he, they picked the right one by saying horse because a flying camel I don't think won't fly with us <laughs> uh, so uh, and, and then he recommends that book from the, 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 the French guy um I'm going to have to bring Augment here, and I hope you guys will come back and uh, debate that with him, or uh, because he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's very smart, very intelligent. I think uh, I may need to do a little homework before we do that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying like a full-on debate versus Augment, but you know, so, you know, uh, like a wrestling match, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wrestling match. How big is he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not very big. But okay, well, I'll do it then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. All right, Jeff versus Ahmed soon coming to the show. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but before we close the show, um, you guys, you got a uh, something coming up uh, in event in September. You guys want to quickly uh, talk about that? Oh man, to quickly talk about this event <laughs> over the weekend. Yes, we're having right here in the city of Abbotsford a debate between Richard Carrier who is a, um, a scholar and an author and a, a professor in ancient history, and Michael Horner, who is a Christian apologist from Texas, uh, Texas <laughs> from Trinity Western University, and the title of the debate is based on Richard's book, which is called Did Jesus Exist? And the debate is the same title. 
did Jesus exist? That's going to be very interesting. It's wonderful, and we want everybody to turn out, the general public, regardless of what church you go to, whether you're a student, whether you teach, whether you're a skeptic, um, whether you're just interested in lively discussion, it's going to be at UFV. It's September the 20th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There is going to be enough seating for 250 and a question and answer period to follow. Um, tickets are available on Eventbrite under Did Jesus Exist? And they're only $5 and a little service fee. So come on out. Lovely. Uh, will there be tickets available at the door as well? Or not? I, I don't see why uh, we wouldn't do that, but um, sure. hey, man, we're going to sell out. So <laughs> get your tickets yeah. fast. So get your tickets early because <laughs> there's not going to be many left. That's going to be a very interesting debate. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, for coming. And, yes, uh, thanks wonderful. for inviting us. Thanks, thanks for having you us. So much for the coming. update on the homeless. Uh, last will. thing, if people want to reach you, give them their address. AbbotsfordHomeless.com. There we go. Okay. And if you want to reach us here, it's because you want to send us love mail or hate mail, you can always go to our website, www.leftatthevalley.com, and uh, send us your requests. Something you want us to talk about? You want to come on to the show? You want to send us a love song? Anything. It's fine. And we will certainly be talking about the homeless village in Abbotsford as it progresses. We're very interested and excited to be following this. Thank you, guys. Until next time, people. Have a good one.